Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. Our essay this week is called Deeper Than the Darkness. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, May the 22nd, 2016. It's a guest essay by Edwina Gately. Edwina Gately's journey has led her to teaching in Africa, founding the Voluntary Missionary Movement, sojourning in the Sahara Desert, spending nine months of prayer in a trailer in the woods, befriending and ministering to street people and women in prostitution, and preaching the good news that God is with us. Edwina Gately is a poet, theologian, artist, writer, lay minister, modern-day mystic and prophet. She's also a single mom. She gives talks, conferences, and retreats in the United States as well as internationally, while continuing to reach out to women in recovery from drugs and prostitution. Once again, a guest essay by Edwina Gately called Deeper Than the Darkness. These are hard times, no doubt about it. Wherever we look, there seem to be pain and suffering in our world. A few months ago, we celebrated Easter and were reminded of our fundamental Christian belief in the risen Christ and the hope that this most glorious event in our liturgical calendar places before us. But even as our alleluias fade into the past, the realities of our world and its violence remain fixed before us on television, the internet, the media, right down the next block, everywhere. How are we to understand the words from Psalm 8 this week telling us that Yahweh has made us little less than a God crowned with glory and splendor? Or the words in Proverbs which declare how wisdom permeates the earth and how the world is shaped in such a way that it manifests the presence of God? How are we to absorb the great mystery of last week's Pentecost which assures us that the Holy Spirit comes down upon us in tongues of fire to send us forth with hope for the world. Indeed, Easter and Pentecost challenge us as followers of Christ to live out our faith more in darkness than in light. I think that's it. I think that faith is indeed ridiculous, that it is only for those who have truly fallen in love with God and been captured by the spirit of wisdom, she who is fire and breath and wind, she who calls us to listen especially in the darkness. We know all about that, but even, even as we experience these dark times in our world, we must be conscious of the light. Not a lot, but intense enough to make a difference and to reflect another reality. Some years ago, Japanese scientists did some research on microorganisms. They discovered that 10% of microorganisms in and around us are negative. Another 10% were deemed positive. The remaining 80% were classified as neutral or wait-and-see microorganisms. Those in this last category observe which of the two 10%, negative or positive, gain ascendancy and then they gravitate towards the stronger. 
This fascinating piece of research holds a powerful message for the Christian community in today's world. We are to be the 10% positive, light, leaven, salt, in a world of darkness. But so intense and authentic must be our faith that others will be drawn towards the light. We will be agents of transformation in new life. That is what the message of Easter tells us, and what Pentecost empowers us to live out in reality. It is wisdom, the Spirit of God, who calls us to see deeper than the darkness, and to recognize that, even in the heart of chaos, God lives, permeating our reality and calling us to remain intense and authentic. There's a story about an international congress of skunks that gathered not so long ago to ponder the state of the world, the skunks representing evil in the world. At some point, the chief of all evil stood up and counseled all the little skunks, or devils if you will, to allow humanity to do whatever they desired, even to love one another and to be kind and generous. But, the devil declared, even as the humans do good deeds, you must ensure that the light of hope dies in their eyes. Then we have them. Yes, it's a mythical but enlightening story of how we must keep the light of our faith and hope intense, especially in times of violence and fear. We read about hope in the epistle this week from Romans 5. Suffering brings patience, patience brings perseverance, and perseverance brings hope, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Still, as always, being faithful in a world of suffering is a challenge, and maybe making sense out of it is, as Jesus says to the disciples in the Gospel of John, too much for you now. But when the spirit of truth comes, she will lead you to complete truth. Maybe that truth is all about hanging on with a ridiculous faith, because we do not let go of that tiny but intense light that comes upon us in an ongoing Pentecostal event. I remember many years ago when I ran a program for women recovering from prostitution and drugs. A woman turned up at my door one night. Her name was Louise. She was high and totally out of it. I let her in, and she crashed on the couch for the next 12 hours or so. Once she had sobered up, eaten, and taken a shower, she left. A week later, the same thing happened. Again and again, week after week, Louise turned up at my door high and drunk. Again and again, I let her in. People began to tell me that I was being manipulated, that I was enabling her bad behavior. They were probably right. But every time I saw her pitiful condition, I let her in. Seventy times seventy. Until one night, after at least two dozen appearances, Louise turned up again. She had been gang-raped and beaten, and her jaw was broken. But she knew where to come. She knew where those of ridiculous faith and hope lived. And this time she stayed. 
Louise eventually went back to school, joined AA, and today is a counselor in a home for women in recovery. Indeed, perseverance brings hope. We will hold on, even if, so often, it appears that we hold on to almost nothing. God's grace is more powerful than the deepest darkness. To end, I'd like to read a poem that I wrote. This poem by Edwina Gately is taken from Soul Whispers, her book of poetry. Why is the world so messed up, I ask God? So much anger, violence, poverty. And everywhere I look, I see fear and doubt and loneliness. Where in all this sadness is your light, your grace, your touch? <coughs> Take your boots off, said God. A guest essay by Edwina Gately. Deeper in the Darkness. For books this week, we also have a guest book review. It's a guest review by Brad Keister, a physicist from Maryland. Brad reviews two books by Francis Fukuyama. The first book is called The Origins of Political Order, From Pre-Human Times to the French Revolution. New York, Farrar, Strauss, and Giraud, 2011. This book is 608 pages. And then the companion volume, Political Order and Political Decay, From the Industrial Revolution to the Globalization of Democracy. New York, Farrar, Strauss, and Giraud. This companion volume was published in 2014. It is 672 pages. A review of two books by Brad Keister. In this massive two-volume history, Francis Fukuyama, a fellow at the Spogli Institute for International Studies at Stanford University, lays out a broad perspective on the origins, growth, life, and in some cases, demise of political systems across the globe. Taken together, these books weigh in at more than 1,200 pages. Not light reading, as Fukuyama does his homework by considering many cases in detail. But there are some persistent themes that bind this huge work into a single whole. Francis Fukuyama rose to fame with an earlier book called The End of History and the Last Man in which he argued that American democracy is the endpoint toward which all other forms of government are inexorably evolving. He became the darling of the neoconservatives in the United States during the early millennial years. A few years after the U.S. invasion of Iraq, Fukuyama withdrew his earlier support for this military action and reanalyzed his views. This two-volume set now under review, presents the results of that analysis. In the first book, The Origins of Political Order, Fukuyama argues that political order in a state depends upon three elements, strength of the state itself, the rule of law, and accountability. 
While Americans may conflate the three as being inextricably linked, Fukuyama points to countries that have one or two of these elements, but not all three. For example, India is a democracy, but it also has a weak central government. China, on the other hand, has a strong government, but more a rule by law than the rule of law, and, in fact, less government accountability. Fukuyama also argues that modern states have not emerged without breaking what he calls the kinship bond, the tendency of rulers to favor those who have the greatest DNA overlap. In a kinship society, this could be called taking care of one's own, but in a meritocracy, it, requires lab it, it acquires labels like nepotism, not to mention corruption. Without a strong government, states often lapse back to the kinship bond. Turning to the role of religion in states, Fukuyama argues that commonly held beliefs can be a powerful constraint upon rulers beyond their own personal power. He also notes that celibate priesthoods tend to break a kinship bond that can lead to church dynasties. In the second volume, Political Order and Political Decay, Fukuyama makes the case that there is no such thing as a failure-proof political system. Each system is founded upon principles that seem robust and resilient at the time of their founding, but become brittle if it does not adapt to new challenges. A key example is the USSR. It only lasted seven decades a rather short period in historical time. The United States experienced division to the point of civil war in less than a century. While Fukuyama still sees Western democracy as a goal to be sought in the development of states, he has no illusions that states will reach that goal soon, if at all. Turning to the United States, he sees a government that was founded on principles designed to prevent tyranny at all costs. So far, that outcome has been prevented, but, per but perhaps with an unintended cost that its government cannot move efficiently to address challenges in the 21st century that the founders never anticipated. This can be seen especially in the political gridlock of recent years. And so, America may need to adapt in new ways if it is to survive. A massive 1,200 two-volume work by Francis Fukuyama, The Origins of Political Order, and then the second volume, Political Order and Political Decay. For movies this week, I review a film from 2014. It's called My Beautiful Broken Brain. One night after she went to bed, Lachi Soderland was awakened by excruciating pain in her head. Drifting in and out of consciousness, she managed to stumble to a nearby hotel in London, but was unable to speak. After that, she says, I remembered nothing. Lotji had suffered a hemorrhagic stroke 
at the age of 34. This Netflix original documentary was an official selection of the 2016 South by Southwest Film Festival and was picked up by director David Lynch, who was one of its producers. It follows the first year of Soderlund's attempts at recovery from the damage done by the stroke, which in her case had to do with memory, language, and logic. She could still speak, but reading was very difficult. Dreams, sounds, and colors could be way too intense. After brain surgery, she moved back in with her mother, then spent three months as a live-in patient at a neurological hospital, and later agreed to experimental transcranial brain stimulation, at which time she suffered a fit of convulsions that lasted four hours. This story is both fascinating and terrifying. I watched it on Netflix streaming. As a footnote, for a book version by a stroke victim, see the bestseller translated into 30 languages. It's called My Stroke of Insight, A Brain Scientist's Personal Journey, 2006. It's by the Harvard neuroscientist Jane Bolt Taylor. Once again, a Netflix original documentary film from 2014 it's called My Beautiful Broken Brain. For poetry, we continue John Berryman, his Addresses to the Lord. This is Address to the Lord number four. If I say thy name, art thou there? It may be so. Thou art not absent-minded as I am. I am so much so I had to give up driving. You attend, I feel, to the matters of men. Across the ages certain blessings swarm. Horrors accumulate. The best men fail. Socrates, Lincoln, Christ mysterious. Who can search thee out? Except Isaiah and Paul who saw I dare not ask that vision, though a piece of it at last in crisis was vouchsafed me. I altered then for good to become yours. Caretaker, take care, for we run in straits. Daily, by night, we walk naked to the storm, some threat of wholesale loss to ruinous fear. Gift us with long cloaks and adrenaline. Who haunt the avenues of Angor Wat, recalling all that prayer, that glory dispersed? Haunt me at the corner of Fifth and Hennepin. Shield in fresh mountain, manifester, even mine. John Berryman, who lived from 1914 to 1972, Address to the Lord, number four. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, May the 22nd, 2016. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.